You're listening to Artistic Finance Show 122. Now, today's show is a rebroadcast of our live recording that took place at LDI in Las Vegas. We have three lighting designers discussing finance from a freelance perspective. We talk about retirement plans, the cost of filing taxes, earning a living in lighting, and how much current jobs are paying. And at the end of the episode, I'll provide an update on a topic that arose during the episode, and that topic is an assistant fee that I'm currently negotiating. Today is actually one of three LDI episodes. I was able to record two others while I was at LDI, and those are going to be releasing in the next few weeks. I'm mentioning those because I want to thank our partner, Ayrton, who made LDI possible for us this year. Now, you'll hear me mention them during the episode, but I just wanted to thank them again. I could not have asked for a better partner than Ayrton. In addition, I'd like to thank our Patreon patrons. So if you watch this episode on YouTube, you'll see that we have a brand new artistic finance step and repeat. We purchased that for LDI and it was paid for by you, the patrons. I'll be honest, I have never felt more official than talking in front of our very own artistic finance banner. It is super cool, so thank you, patrons. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. It was an absolute blast, and everybody in the room had a great time, and the feedback I continuously got was that we needed another hour to continue the conversation. So maybe next year we'll record a longer time slot, I'd like to thank Ellen at Live Design for inviting us to hold this session at LDI. Now, she's invited us back for LDI 2023, so if you didn't make it this year, it's time to start planning our trip for 2023. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for leaving the show floor that's not quite open, maybe, and joining us here. Now, we're recording this on November 18th, 2022, and we're coming to you live from Live Design International in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am Ethan Steimel. I'm a lighting designer based out of New York City, and I'm also the host of Artistic Finance, which is a weekly show where I interview entertainment professionals about how they handle finance and the business side of their career. And exciting for us, we just passed passed 27,000 downloads. And while our listeners are mostly based in the U.S., we also have a foothold in Canada, the U.K., and France. So wherever you're listening from, welcome and thank you for being here. Now, all of these artistic finance interviews, they're all public, and that serves our two-part mission, which is to provide a safe space for anybody in our industry to ask any financial question. And the way we provide that safe space is that, first of all, we, there's, it's a no-judgment zone, <laughs> but we also allow anonymous questions uh, to our email, which is artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And those questions are answered by sort of our network of business-minded colleagues, uh, by financial professionals, 
and, of course, previous guests, such as some that are on our panel here. Um, and to date, we have not had someone ask a question in which we couldn't find them the answer somewhere. So I will admit I don't know all the answers, but I know people that give, give me the info. Um, the second part of the mission of artistic finance is to give back financially to our entertainment colleagues. This started during pandemic, and that was a little bit rough for all of us. Um, so the way that we provide financial support is from our Patreon patrons, um, our donors and our anonymous donors, and this year our LDI partner, Ayrton Lighting. Um, Ayrton is a design and manufacturer of innovative moving lights for indoor and outdoor applications in concert, touring, theater, studio, installation, and architecture. And this year, they are supporting the Women in Lighting session, and that is at 3.30 p.m. today. Um, I'm going to be there. Amy is actually going to be a panelist there. So if you enjoy what Amy says, who knows, who knows <laughs> no, what she's going to no say. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> but if you like <laughs> it, um, at 3.30 p.m., there's uh, three lighting designers are talking about different areas of, of lighting. And then after that, very importantly, is a happy hour for Women in Lighting that is sponsored by Ayrton and Act Entertainment. Here's a little tip that if you can't attend the Women in Lighting session, you can still attend the happy hour. You just have to stop by the ACT Entertainment booth, and you can get a drink ticket there. Um, so hopefully I'll see many of you there. Um, and now I am honored to share the stage with our accomplished panelists, all of whom are some of the kindest and most energetic and generous people that I know. Um, we have Marcia Stern, a concert and architectural lighting designer based in New York City and Florida. We have Amy Deluxe, a multidisciplinary designer based out of a van somewhere, <laughs> living the van life, um, and Jen Schriever, a Broadway lighting designer based in New York City. So thank you all for being here. And before I start, just a disclaimer that we're all entertainment professionals. We are not financial professionals. Uh, so before making any financial decisions, consult a professional. <laughs> so basically, listen to us for an hour, but don't listen to us for an hour. So now, the first topic that I would like to tackle here today is how to earn a living in lighting. Um, so, Marsha, I'm going to start. I'm just going to work this way every time. Uh, so, how do you earn your living? Well, that's a complicated question because I've earned a living through a myriad of avenues. I mean, I've schlepped cable. I've pushed road boxes in and out of trucks. I've... I've uh, uh, you know, done installs. I've done maintenance. I've cut gel back in the day when we didn't have glass and dichro and you actually had to cut gel and you wanted four colors and you wanted, you know, you had one light for each color. So there's always we, somebody. We still cut gel in theater. Oh, yay. <laughs> it's not a complete lost art. Yay. <laughs> but do you wash gel? No, no definitely not. <laughs> An old joke for old farts like me. Um, when, uh, when I began in this world, my heart's desire was to be in this business. And through, I guess, tenacity and the generosity of friends who either thought I could do something or felt sorry for me, I got jobs. And one job led to the next. And the best thing I can say is go after what you want and be tenacious. And sometimes if the first day of work you have to clean pipe because it's horrible, but it has to be done. Your second day of work, you might end up with a fully filled Klein tool belt because you did such a good job cleaning the pipe and you didn't bitch and moan about it. So there's opportunity in the theater world. Amazing. All right, Amy, so how do you make a living? 
So I have a, you know, in my, in my start, uh, I actually have a degree in graphic design and kind of like got into the theater, uh, you know, accidentally after, after 9-11 and low economy and all of that. Um, but I, so I started as a visual artist doing props and set painting and things like that, but I just couldn't stop staring at the lights. So I asked to be on the lighting crew and, uh, yeah, just kind of took off from there. I went and did a bunch of certifications. So I was, uh, you know, deck electric, uh, moving light repair, um, worked my way up into programming, became a programming designer, and um, at one point I pivoted over to architectural. So now I mainly um, work in architectural systems design. Um, I train uh, architects, engineers, and contractors on the architectural side how to do dynamic lighting, whether it's RGB or circadian lighting, and how to do that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also like flip it on, you know, for entertainment professionals to teach them how to pivot over to permanent install. Um, so that's mainly what I do. But like I said earlier, I have a graphic design degree, so I actually bake that in, which is why I go by multidisciplinary designer now, because I create a lot of educational materials, um, like uh, design guides and uh, web pages and just things that help people kind of demystify dynamic lighting and and learn more about more complex uh, controls systems. So I do a little bit of that, too, and just kind of roll it into a a big old package right there. All right, Jen, before you answer, before the panel, you told me how to say your name. Did I say it wrong? Jen Schreiber? Schreiber. You said Schreiber. it right. I said it right. Oh, my gosh. I've been sitting yeah. here thinking I got it wrong. All no, right, ignore you that. You said it right, and then right. you get Schreiber. So, Jen yeah. Schreiber, how do you <laughs> earn your living? I, I um, well, I'm, I mostly design in New York, Broadway, off-Broadway, regional, uh, changes. Like, I went through a period where I did opera. I don't really get calls for opera lately, but I'd love to, but mostly live performance. Hustle, like I hustle. Uh-huh. So I started doing like stagehand work, like as a teenager. I knew a guy and he hired me, and I was like doing off Broadway electrician work and stagehand work. And then I started assisting, and then I became someone's like main associate on Broadway. So I'm like, oh, this is sweet, like a nice paycheck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but I really want to design. So then, like, took a huge pay cut to like become a designer. Um, and like crawling my way back. I'm 42, so I feel like two decades, like the first decade of working was like assisting, mm-hmm. and then, you know, my 30s to now is like, you know, root, roots in designing. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I, I make my living as a lighting designer <laughs> <laughs> doing theater. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Marsha, back to you. So, what was your very first job in lighting? Wow. Um, and wait, there's a caveat to this question and how much did it pay? Okay, so my very first unofficial job in lighting was at a little gay bar down in the West Village called, at that time, by its real name, The Cock Ring. (laughs) By 1981 rolled around, they had changed it to The Ring, and its logo was then a circle with a rooster in the center of it, a.k.a. not really losing the name. And at the time, I was actually in the music business. I was doing record production and promotion, and some of my best friends were DJs, some of the top reporting DJs in the country, all in New York, and they all had weeknights and nights at this little club in the village, and I used to go up and relieve the lighting guy who was a buddy, and before you knew it, I was there doing lights, and I got $35 a night and all the drinks I could drink. And then my first real job was at uh, New York, New York, with a proper paycheck. I did not get all the drinks I could drink, but I think I then went up to about $50 a night, which wasn't good, but <laughs> it was what it was. 
<laughs> Amazing. Awesome. All right, Amy, what was your first job in lighting, and my, how much did it pay? My first lighting job was as a deck electrician. Uh, I think it was at the Longs. No, no, no. It was, um, it was a corporate, at, like in a hotel. Um, no, no, that was, that was carpentry. Uh, no, it was at the Long Center in Austin. Um, and yeah, deck electrics. Um, I don't remember if it was a theatrical or opera or what it was specifically, which production, but it was $17 an hour. Oh, all right. That doesn't sound terrible. Yeah, they were pretty good. Or however long ago that was. Uh, I guess that was like 17 or 18 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was a $35 a night. (laughs) (laughs) Jen, was your first job in lighting? I mean, I I got my high school to hire me as like a high graduated senior to light. They did three shows in the summer. So I lit their shows. And it was like an amazing, it was $1,200, which I was like, I am so rich. Like I felt, (laughs) and and I bought my first car with that $1,200. Like, I remember, like, I got the $1,200, and then I just, like, bought my, like, 1998 Honda Civic Si with that $1,200, like, used from my neighbor. Wow. And I was like, I am an adult. Like, I'm like, I made it. I got a paycheck. I bought a car. All right. Three shows for $1,200, not $1,200 per show. Three shows for $1,200. Okay. Still pretty great. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yes. Um, All right. So from that first job that you had... um, what did you learn about finances from that? And did it impact sort of how you proceeded into your lighting career? I honestly have to say that I don't think I learned a damn thing about finances from it. <laughs> I, I probably didn't learn about finances until much later in my career. At that point in time, I was still with one foot in the music world, one foot in just getting into the lighting world, you know, and, the, and kind of the fact that I had enough money to pay the rent, feed myself, and a few bucks extra to maybe go out once a week and and party with some friends. That was about as far as it went, as far as future considerations. I don't think I was well into my 30s before I started thinking about, like, really, the future. I kind of still feel like that. Like, do I have enough money (laughs) to party with my friends? In many (laughs) ways, so do I. That's the goal. But I'm just curious about, like, like, was there, uh, like, if it was in your 30s that you started being like, like, did did that change your mindset of, like, maybe I should start saving more or maybe I should pivot into a different uh, job to get more money? Or did you just... Money was never really my motivation. I mean, it may sound really weird, but it never was my motivation. And it wasn't until much later in my career that I got jobs that offered things like 401k plans and retirement plans and those sorts of things. And that really started with my getting into the world of uh, architainment or the, in the architectural world, creating the industry of architainment as it were back in the mid nineties. Um, and that job offered me the first 401k package. But, but you got into the architainment because For, just because you did, and then it paid better. I got into it just because I did, and I had blown up my knee. So climbing ladders was not an option. And I ended up with a wonderful job that actually, uh, gave me the opportunity to put the knowledge I had of automated lighting and robotics, which I was dealing with at the palladium 
uh, and and to put that into an architectural venue. It had never been done before, so it was break, groundbreaking. But you know, I was hired as an employee of a an established architectural lighting design firm, and with that was a weekly paycheck and a four hundred one k and sick days and all the things you get. Uh, prior to that, as a freelance person, you just don't get any of that in freelance. You know, you're lucky to get a gig as a freelancer. I would say my biggest asset was that I could cram a month's worth of work into a week's worth of special events and then have three weeks to myself and not worry about work instead of spreading those 40 hours through an eight-hour-a-day week, week after week after week. So I think that the benefit wasn't financial. It was time. Yeah. And that was where my focus was back then. Got it. Amazing. Amy, uh, what did you learn about finance from your first job? Um, I also did not learn anything about finance at the first job. Uh, I was a late bloomer as well uh, when I finally decided or realized I needed to develop my financial IQ. But I think the one thing that I did realize with my first job that is related to finance was that if you work a lot of hours, you can get overtime and golden time and, and things like that. So I, I, my work ethic kind of went into overdrive to try to make sure that I was getting the gigs where I could get those extra hours and I could get that holiday pay and just stack up also to have time wealth and to be able to take time off mm. in between the gigs by, by kind of front-loading it in that way. Got it. And you were freelance, and then you, have you ever been full-time? or? Yes. Yeah, so I freelanced for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, I guess, and then I um, in 2016 went full-time up until um, earlier this year. So for about six years, um, I did full-time work, and I've just recently gone back to being freelance, actually. Got it. And can I just ask you, because I've only ever freelanced, and I've sort of avoided a full-time thing because I thought, well, once I do it, that steady paycheck is not going to let me go. But you have come back to freelancing. Uh, where, how did you decide that? Yeah, and, you know, I, I did make huge gains in my in my salary during that six years um so definitely always negotiate um but i so i was getting like a really fat 401k match and hsa match and salary increases and things like that so that was challenging to walk away from but when i was freelancing like i said you can get paid for overtime you get you just always get paid for your time um and often with salary jobs especially like i've worked with a lot of startups and i've started departments uh for for established companies um and so you know you work a lot of overtime but you your pay doesn't change and so um for me i just uh, kind of got to a point where i missed having the time wealth that I used to have. And it's not that I still work a ton, um, but I just can control, you know, if I need a break, I can take a break. And if I, you know, I can take a day off if I need it. Um, so for me, I just kind of wanted to get back to that, like a little more work-life balance. I feel that I can have as an entrepreneur that I wasn't personally able to figure out as an employee. I know that system of, you know, the nine to five or, you know, that structure works for a lot of people, but it was just always challenging for me. So, um, and originally, to be honest, I was doing it and I was planning on doing it temporarily because this was the beginning of when I did start to develop a financial IQ and I was very naive and I was like, oh, I'll just do it for two or three years then I'll be rich and then I'll like open up my own venue and, you know, and then like I'm like, then I'm by two or three years in, I was like, oh my God, I had a lot of debt that I wasn't really paying attention to. And yeah, I was always paying the minimum and I was like paying my bills on time, but I was, I didn't understand compound interest. So my debt was just always there and I just got tired of looking at it. So then I 
continued with the full time because it did help me to, you know, have structure with my income. And that's a whole other topic, of course, I'm sure we'll get into later. But um, when I got to a point where I had paid off all my consumer debt and I saved a lot of money um, where I felt comfortable enough to to have a buffer to go back to working on my own, I just, you know, timed it that way. I think I learned, like, to hustle. Well, you said, like, you're always paid for your time, not as a theater designer. As a theater designer, you're paid a fee, right? Right. And you you could do no prep. And, you know, hope you pull it off. You could prep your ass off. Really, the time you put, you could be, you could agree to a fee. You know, I get offered fees for a certain, the same amount of time. Like, I have to show up in the theater for three weeks that are wildly different ranges of dollars, (laughs) you know. So, um, piling, you know, I work back to back to back to back. But also, I now have a kid. who I have a six-year-old. So, like, I've learned, like, I'm going to take the summer off. Like, he's off. He used to be able to come around with me. Now mm-hmm. I have to. He has to go to school. Right. So, like, I can't take him to, you know, L.A. with me. He's sobbing that he's not here right now. I, I, he's like, why aren't I with you in Las Vegas? <laughs> um, I'm like, no, your kids are not allowed in the casino. Um, he's like, I'll stay in the hotel room. I'm like, it's not possible. But, like, I learned. I learned. Um, I just learned to to say yes. So that's what I did in my 20s. I just said yes to everything. Like if the gap could be filled, I filled it. Like Mm -hmm. I have no money from my family. Like I'm on my, I was on my own, you know, like, so I was like, okay, I have to make a living doing this. Um, So for for the first 10 years, I, if I had a gap, I said yes. And that all, sometimes there were terrible experiences. Sometimes they were amazing, but usually those things led to something else. Mm -hmm. And I feel like finally, honestly, in the past like five years, I've been able to be selective. I feel like I can say no to things. Yeah. Um, but I get, so, you know, I'm, I joined the union in 2004, so I'm 18 years a union member. So mm-hmm. I have a, you know, I learned, I'm vested in the pension, you know, I learned that is useful to me. I am not organized financially. So like <laughs> anything that is just a system in place, you know, already there for me is very helpful. But yeah, hustle. I learned to hustle. Yep, I hear you. I hear you. I feel like, I feel like everybody in this room can <laughs> yeah, relate to yeah, hustling. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. And and love and being in love, like you, you know, like being in love with the hustle. It's yep. sort of a messed up concept. It's definitely but. a passion. <laughs> yeah. passion We're definitely in a passion-driven yeah, profession. Yeah, exactly. By all means, yeah. you know, we look at the project. I think before we look at the dollars. Totally. Uh, and and that's because we love what we do, totally. and, and the joy that we get from it, the gratification. Yeah, you gotta love it. It's the yeah. kind of stuff that money can't buy. Although I will say this, it's really nice to get a fat fee. When no, they kidding. Roll no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I say. Like I'm either taking the job because I love it, yeah. or maybe I don't love it, but I love what it's giving to me financially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do because you love. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Okay. So some more. Real I'll talk here. What was your What was your most recent job, and how much did it pay? And is that sort of typical or atypical? Well, my most recent job ended with the beginning of our lovely pandemic that has been plaguing us since early 2020, mm-hmm. and I was a uh, special projects person for Acclaim Lighting, and that was a regular good job. It was a great job. It had benefits. It had this. It had that. I was making upwards of $75,000 a year and and was 
you know, got all the benefits and perks that go with that, and I was working remotely, and it was wonderful, and then, of course, it ended. Um, since then, I've started some passion projects that have been kind of lying in the corner without the time to do them, mm -hmm. and now they're up and running, and that's where my focus is. Uh, one of them is uh, a legacy website, roytho.com, with a lot of music that I'm bringing out, and a lot of work that I've done with this person in the last few years have found me getting a lot of his stuff in uh, major museum exhibits and those kinds of things. And then I launched a podcast, which again, it's a passion project. It hasn't really brought me any income yet. I'm trying to figure that part out. So suggestions are always welcome. <laughs> um, but that's called the heartbeat of the dance floor. And these have been passion projects that I'm focused on the gratification of doing them more than any monetary gain. Although at some point in time, I probably will have to face the music, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, you threw out a number, 75,000. Uh, when you were working for a claim, were you in New York or Florida? No, I was in Florida. I, at that time, I was working from home. I uh, pretty much was setting my own schedule. I did do a lot of traveling for business. I worked directly with Blaine Engel, who was the uh, uh, head or chief um, salesperson for Acclaim Lighting Divisionally. And, um, you know, there was a lot of traveling. There was a lot of work. And I was more involved in the control aspect because that's kind of my forte as well with Amy doing, you know, not just designing but programming and doing advanced control systems. And Acclaim at that time was coming out with some new software. So I spent a lot of my, my sales input focusing on the control aspect as opposed to the fixture itself. Um, and, and that I did, uh, you know, kind of on my own. In fact, that was the transition that I was making. That all got stopped by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of had to start from scratch because there was no work out there for any of us. And when the manufacturers are stuck dead in the water, then it's really hard to educate the consumer on how to program these elaborate, wonderful programs that we can now do on computers that give you 365-day you could put a different look up every day of the week if you want to. And I'm just curious, working for a claim and then pandemic stopping it, uh, is there any world in which you would go back to a claim or could go back to a claim? Um, uh, there's always a world where I would go back to it, um, whether it's a claim in particular or whether it's another uh, firm that may be offering those opportunities. But I will say I do enjoy being my own boss, so to speak. And one of the luxuries of being a freelance person, even if you have a client that has you on a retainer, for lack of a better term, um, and you know you're dedicating all of your energy to this one or maybe two clients, when you can call your own shots and accomplish your work in the time frame that it needs to be accomplished, but at your own pace, that I think is the greatest luxury of being autonomous to oneself as opposed to having to go in the office and be there for eight hours just because you were supposed to be there for eight hours or because they have you punching a clock. It's like, well, I'm done at three. Why would that linger? Yeah, yeah. Interrupting the episode to mention our LDI partner, Ayrton Digital Lighting. Thank you to Jean and Linnea who are leading the charge of Ayrton to support the Women in Lighting organization. Here is a message from Linnea. 
Ayrton design and manufacture innovative LED and laser source moving lights for indoor and outdoor applications in concert touring, theater, studio, installation and architecture. Ayrton is a proud sponsor of the international support and networking project Women in Lighting. Ayrton's primary aim is to raise awareness of and expand the network across the entertainment lighting industry. Go to womeninlighting.com and sign up for the entertainment newsletter to learn more. Male supporters are welcome. Ayrton is exclusively distributed by Act Entertainment in North America. I'd also like to mention our Patreon page. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end, but one of the highlights for me at LDI was meeting Gary Archer, who is one of our patrons. It was super cool to meet Gary in person. Now, Gary is a patron. If you would like to join the ranks of these esteemed patrons that we have, uh, you can join up with Gary by going to patreon.com slash artistic finance. If you like this episode, if you like what I'm doing for the entertainment community by talking about these topics, I would absolutely love and appreciate your support. And certainly the best way uh, for anyone to do that is by going to patreon.com slash artistic finance and signing up for a monthly or a yearly contribution. So anyway, if you do that, thank you in advance. And now back to the show. All right, Amy, uh, what was your most recent job? How much did it pay? And is that typical or atypical? So I don't even know how to answer this because I have such a smattering of, of offerings that I do. Um, and, I, and I just finished my corporate full-time position to start freelancing again. And I was, I'm technically on sabbatical, but I've been working. So I, you know, I, I have a couple of different rates. So I guess I'll just kind of go through a couple different. Sounds great. So I, because I do the graphic design and educational material stuff, I did a splash page for $300. Um, I have a rate for, um, you know, the, the graphics and the marketing and educational stuff, like for like $100 an hour for that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, my, my corporate job that I left, uh, they now are my clients. So I do a lot of work for them still. Um, but when I was working for them full time, which I guess is my most recent like job job, um, my base salary was 125 a year. And then, uh, you know, with the, I get two bonuses a year and a 401k match and an HSA match, my total compensation was right. 180, 190 mm-hmm. a year. Um, but this is the Bay area. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of like a, that's a, the salary side of it. Okay. All right. All right. Ethan sees a splash page for his website in the future. (laughs) Um, All right, Jen, uh, what was your most recent job? How much did it pay? And is that typical? Yeah, I would say I feel like right now nothing is typical. Like everything is different. I also feel like I'm in a place in my career where like I'm moving into a certain direction. So like feel like financially leveling up to another level, which Mm -hmm. is exciting, but also like you know, tentative, like, yep. is this real yep. life? Yep. Is this count? You know, can I count on this? Yep. So like similar, like, you know, uh, you know, I'm just paid by fees, right? So like an off-Broadway show is like $5,000, basically, like mm-hmm. for the major off-Broadway theaters. So like I just did an off, I've, I just signed a, con- okay, I just signed two contracts for All two right. new musicals. Congrats. One <laughs> off-Broadway, one that's pre-Broadway and going to Broadway, okay? All right. All right. The off-Broadway new musical is, is a, is a, Massive time commitment, a huge tech, whatever, and that is like fifty one hundred dollar fee. 
So what I learned from my amazing associates is they also want to pay the associates off-Broadway by a fee. And when you look at the hourly of that, you realize they're being paid like $6 an hour. So um, when I look at even a minimum wage as the hourly, because it's very easy to track the hours there, and they're in for the morning notes call, they're in for tech, they're in for the afternoon session. Like if you put just $15 an hour, their fee is already higher than mine. Mm-hmm. And and like four times what the theater has budgeted. So just saying, <laughs> designer fees are pretty <laughs> shitty. Um, <laughs> but okay. the musical is doing an out of town tryout at a Lort A theater, and then a Broadway contract. And I'm signing both contracts at once. The Lort A fee is like seventy eight hundred dollars or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Broadway contract is forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars and royalties and right of first refusal for tours, which is the fee again, and yeah. London and you know so like I feel basically what I feel and also what I'm learning now yeah. is like everything is an exciting gamble. Yeah. Like, is this going to be my Hamilton? It is. Is it this going to be <laughs> my Book of Mormon, or is this going to be like going to close next? You know, is this not going to be? So I feel like you're judging. You're you artistically also judging. Like, is this worth my time to gamble? Yeah. This small that off-Broadway musical could move, right. or not? Right. Right. You know, it'll so, move at the same time and conflict probably. Also that. That's what's going on. Yeah. Happen. So it's like a constant, you know, honing what collaborate. You know, like who, and especially now that I have a kid, I'm like, okay, he's going to go to college, and like I'm gonna, you know, yeah. we live in Manhattan, so like, yeah. you know, I am a little more money focused than I ever was before. For for the out of town before transfers. What is the time commitment for that and then the time commitment for the Broadway version? Broadway doesn't have a calendar yet, but it's a big, big musical. So yeah. I assume, who knows, actually? Who knows? Who, who knows? Two months? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe less. Like, people are trying to save money now, so yeah. maybe less. The, uh, the Out of Town, I just got the calendar. It's like four weeks in the theater. Okay, all right. And then the, the 42000 the fee for Broadway, yeah. is that the minimum? Like, their schedules and all that. Is that the minimum? Is that above minimum? I, Do you know? I think the minimum for... <laughs> so it's there. So there's, like, musical... There's, like, musical with one set, multi-set musical, like, yeah. and lighting design. Aaron, do you remember? <laughs> I, think, I think it's, like, for a lighting... Do you know? It's, I think it's 17. Okay. Maybe multi-set musical is 17. So they've offered... It was the first time, like, out the bat, the general manager sent an offer. This is the highest offer I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. So I think the general manager off the bat sent the offer, and my agent was like, what do you think? And I was like, it's great. <laughs> like, yeah. no notes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 21. Lighting musical multi-scripted. Yeah, 21. Okay. Nice. So, wow. so right out the bat, I got my uh, big girl offer. Yeah. And, wow. and, then, and then maybe I'll be like, you know collecting some royalty someday. That's yeah. really my financial goal. Yeah. Period. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, everybody in this room hopes that you do collect royalties. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're all Thank rooting you. for Thank you, you 100% <laughs> of the Thank time. You. Um, all right. So now I want to switch. Oh. I was just going to add into what Jen said, and I have a lot of the similarity when I entered into the architectural world, because as an architectural or, or mine was not this kind of architectural. Mine had to do with special 
entertainment lighting in architecture where it was used specialty for these things. And I would find that I could wager an hourly fee that sometimes was even upwards of $200 an hour as a designer, as a consultant on a gig. But when I went to sign a contract, then I was looking at the same thing. How many hours? Sure, I could sign a contract for $15,000. But then when it went into hours beyond, when construction was delayed, when you then had to say, okay, now I've put in an extra four weeks worth of work, where do I get my add-on? I've still got a pending 10 grand that's owed to me from a client that I did 20 years ago that was supposed to pay me, and I'm still waiting for that money. So the disparity between what you can charge in an hourly situation and what you end up negotiating on your contract sometimes is... Very yeah. huge. And I just wanted to add, it's not just in the theatrical world. Yeah. It, it's a lot in the architectural world. And it's a whole different set of rules and games when you're dealing with that world than you are with entertainment, which I find is a little more forgiving and, I, and I a little more all too. for one. Yeah, I, I kind of have developed, like since I'm relaunching, uh, like a price guide menu. Um, but like, it depends, right? Like you can do a high end resi for 10 K, but maybe it should be 20 K. And so what I'm trying to figure out, which I think is something we all need to kind of consider is, you know, writing it into the contract in some way, like this includes this, these exact features, this timeline, this, I'm going to be working with the electrical contractor for this segment. I'm going to be working with the architect architect for this second or segment. And you kind of have to spell out like a, an outline of what it includes because yes. with construction specifically, it yes. can go on and on and on. A lot of my projects are years out. And learning from mistakes, you also have to specify what happens when it goes into beyond what this contract allows for. Something I learned the hard way because it wasn't specified in the original contract. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of a live and learn game, I'm sorry to say. And in, and in theater, especially like New York theater, where there is surprisingly little dollars or not as many dollars as you think there should be, like something we, I've learned like post-pandemic is like, take the, the, all these theaters made these value statements over the pandemic of like, we stand for quality and whatever. And like, I sometimes now like send that with my assistant. Like, <laughs> like, so you like believe in people and like taking care of people. Like, here's the New York City living wage for a single adult living in New York. And here's literally the hours this person is going to be showing up. Oh my gosh. I, I, How did the, very can, useful yeah, to like, share that with them. I love that. And I feel like we just need a document that sort of has that to put together because I want to send that out to people. I think That's great. Yeah. into the contracts. I mean, it sounds like a very useful thing. Well, it's when great. they, especially with assistants, like for me, it's funny. Like I, I find it easier to fight for my assistants because mm-hmm. it's so clear. Yep. Like they are showing up at these times. Like it is so, and they're, you're paying them W-2. They're an employee. Right. Yeah. So like. You cannot say, here's your $2,200 fee, show up for six weeks. Like, yeah. Yeah. that does yeah. not, that cannot work anymore. Which is also a big difference as to how you negotiate if you're doing something on salary versus freelance. I mean, there were, there were clubs that I worked in, in in the city in the 80s that 
it was a salary in that every night the club was open, I was there and I was a resident lighting person, but I got a paycheck and taxes were taken out and it was a W-2, which bodes well when one gets old like I am and is looking at collecting their social security. Mm -hmm. I have 10, 15 year gaps in my social security. Why? Because I was freelancing as a freelancer and you'll get into this later, I'm sure. But there's a whole different way that you have to look at your future finances as a freelancer as opposed to when you do have a gig that takes out that FICA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about nuts and bolts, which I know, Jen, when you agreed to come on this panel, you were like, I'm very disorganized, happy to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So first thing is, do you file your own taxes? And if you don't, when or why did you decide somebody else should be doing it? Okay, I do not file my own taxes because I was recommended to an accountant in New York about 40-some years ago who is my accountant to this day. And when I incorporated, I did have for a couple of years somebody who just did my corporate taxes and my personal was done by Howard. Uh, And then after about a year or so of filing, it just got too complicated and Howard does everything now. Um, he does my corp, my, my New York corporation, he does my LLC in Florida, and he does my personal. I find that it is far less for me to deal with the intricacies of the changes of the tax laws, the things that you should and shouldn't. There's enough on my plate to figure out what I made, where I made it, what expenses I paid, X, Y, and Z. That's a whole a whole boatload of work to find out the nuances in a profession that I know absolutely nothing about. I absolutely rely on a trusted accountant, which is why he's been my accountant for over 40 years. Also, real talk question. How much do you pay to have your taxes done? Personal 750, same. So and, seven seven fifty total or seven fifty each? He actually, well, no, seven fifty each for corporate and then another seven fifty for personal. It could be a little higher if backlit productions has some revenue in it. Otherwise, it just kind of falls into my personal umbrella. So I would say all in all, I'm looking at between fifteen and $1,800 a year to have a professional make sure that all my T's are crossed and all my di- I's are dotted. Yeah, yeah. And yours are a little complicated being all over the place. Well, I'm complicated. So <laughs> it's, it's I, I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. Uh, Amy, accountant, no accountant. Um, I used to do my taxes myself. Um, and when I was freelancing, I would have, sometimes it's a W-2, sometimes it's 1099, and I, and I travel a lot, and I'm nomadic, so I had them from different states. And it, it was fine for a while. Um, but I guess the main reasons I switched over to a CPA uh, was because, well, the first trigger was that uh, I was very meticulous with getting all of my paperwork in. And then uh, there was a year that I moved from New York to L.A., and um, I had asked, uh, you know, everyone to forward the stuff to me, and two companies did not, and I didn't catch it. And two years later, I got audited, and it scared the bejesus out of me. Um, I mean, it wasn't a lot. It was like I just owed them like 500 bucks or something because it just never got filed. Um, but it was enough to, to, you know, light a fire under me. So, um, And then on top of that, around the same time, um, I invested in real estate. And so there's a whole – like I. I understand how to file for lighting, but the real estate, all of the little intricacies that you can, uh, you know, get in, in your advantage, I didn't really know that. So things were kind of starting to get a little more complicated, and so I went with a CPA, um, and I've had that, that same CPA now for 
about five years, I think. Okay. And then because you're now living the van life, which is a new thing, yeah. um, but you do have some real estate, so therefore I assume you have a mailbox somewhere. Uh, does that complicate your taxes at all? So I, I have a scheduled call with my CPA to let her know <laughs> that not only have I, um, so now I have two properties that are rented, yeah. and uh, I've gone from being full-time to, to freelance right now, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to get an LLC by the end of this tax year or not. But so we're scheduled for a call so that yeah. I'll find out what I need to do. But <laughs> we'll, we'll have an amended episode later to add on to <laughs> yeah. this. Um, and you mentioned properties. Is one of those in Texas, one in California? Correct. Because that, compli- that sounds complicated already. I'm, o- I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like it depends if you, if you live in it or if you rent it. You know, there's different rules. And that's the other thing. It's like tax laws change every single year. And, um, you know, on top of the things getting more complicated, another incentive for me to get a CPA was just that I got busy with my career and like to stop and like collect everything that I spent all year um, you know it just it was just starting to take up too much time got it all right my favorite question how much do you pay for those taxes 275 what Uh, the name of your accountant is (laughs) she's actually not taking any more clients right now but I always have a list running (laughs) no it's uh, you know a a colleague of I don't know I mean I think generally her prices are good Um, like like this is not I don't think I'm getting like an extra discount, but it is a colleague's family member that I worked with. And so I might be getting, you know, a little something, something. Well, I I will say I, uh, my wife and I uh, joint file and we pay 750, um, but we did, we're from Missouri originally and we were using that accountant and it was 400 Mm -hmm. when we were doing that. So my previous accountant was 400. Where's your accountant located? California. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because mine's in New York, and I think that just kind of jacks it up. Although these days, Florida's more expensive than New York, so don't believe anyone when they tell you you can live in Florida cheaply. (laughs) All right. Um, All right, Jen, accountant or no accountant? Yes. I, I... I got an accountant in 2004 because I knew, I'm like, I'm a mess. Like, I need someone. And I talked to some associates, and they were like, here's a, like, there's people who focus on entertainment professionals in New York. I'm sure there are in many places. Yeah, I'll put put links to them in the show notes for this episode. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's awesome. And so she knows theater people. You know, she does actors and designers and directors. So she knows what the write-offs look like. She knows what to look for and ask. So, and I pay 800 with her. Okay. Yeah. All, right. All right. I win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You got the friends and family price. I would wait. <laughs> I feel like there might be a tax accountant shakeup going down here. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, retirement plans. Sort of. What is the retirement plan that you have? Like, what are all the parts that make it up? I guess I'm living it. I'm collecting my social security. I've got two legacy projects I haven't quite figured out how to monetize on. But fortunately, even when you're collecting social security, you can still work. So we are, you know, always open to suggestion, always open to a new challenge, whether it's in lighting or whether it's something interesting to do with the podcast. And I'm actually finding myself circling back into my music career. So who knows? You might even hear me playing on some live sets at some point, you know, and and just trying to make ends meet and learn how to live on $30,000 a year less. All right, Amy, retirement. I used tax advantage accounts, so 401k, HSA, and IRA. Um, And I use Roth, and if you're over the limit for Roth, I do a backdoor rollover because with Roth, your taxes are already paid. So later on when I actually want the money, I won't have to pay 
whatever the taxes are down the road. And then I also have my real estate investments. And your union, no union, anything like that? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Jen, you know. Yeah, I think I, ju- I don't have a IRA. I know that's terrible. I remember my, like... <laughs> very smart high school boyfriend being like, you should start your IRA now. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I have the union pension and I do have some 401k money that like certain contracts pay into. I'm also a board member for the union and like I just take all of the payment for that, which is very small, and Mm -hmm. go right into the 401k. Like I don't take any dollars. Okay. All right. Um, That sounds pretty simple. It's super simple. (laughs) And I've peeped at the dollars. And while I'm sure it's low compared to you organized folks, I'm still like, I could live on this. Like, I I could see this being possible. Yeah. 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 I also want to just add for anybody that is freelancing, I learned this a lot later, that you can actually open a 401k without having an employer. And I never knew that. So I waited to get an employer to get a 401k. And I lost like 15 years of working time. You can open up a, a solo 401k, solo IRA and things like that. So definitely look into it. Yeah, amazing. And I actually have an episode coming up with my accountant, who we pay seven fifty two. just a reminder. <laughs> and he talks about that, about the advantages of opening up an individual 401k for, for reasons. And I also suggest for freelancers, because all those years that I didn't have employers that were taking money out of my paycheck to go into Social Security, I was fortunately able to make contributions into an IRA account, which ultimately they do mature. When you're old and you want the money, they mature and they turn into something that if you do have good advice, you can take that cash account and put it in an investment that might give you a lifetime benefit that pays out after a certain amount of time and that sort of thing. And that also is another way to look at income. Um, and, and it's just pretty much about squirreling the money when you're young and foolish. Just a little bit, you know, 10% of what you make, put it in a cookie jar somewhere and then go open a bank account. A cookie jar with compound interest. <laughs> That's the bank account. <laughs> do they even do compound interest anymore in the In banks? high yield savings accounts. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your investment strategy. And, and I will say that advice is repeated many times on the podcast. When you're young, set something aside. Even if like something, silly example, like a dollar a week is like something. You've got to be consistent with it. And you, But the younger you can start, the better. But also just start any. Time. Also, it's, not too late, yeah. it's also not too late. It's which, never too late. Which actually, Amy was on last week's episode. We talk about it being not too late. It, it was fantastic. So <laughs> if, if you're if if you think it's too late for you, go back a week, listen to Amy's episode. It's really good. Um, all right, guys, this has been or guys, whoa, vernacular. Um, <laughs> this has been fascinating to hear, and I really appreciate the candor and the honesty, because um, this is not um, me asking guests on. Uh, a lot of people say no because they don't want to talk about this publicly, but I think we all know in this room that it is important to talk about this stuff, and so I just I thank you so much for doing it. Um, and I think we're out of time for questions, okay, and I'll just ask this final one, um, which is, what is up? What's the next job you're going to? Um, you don't have to tell me how much it pays unless you want to. <laughs> well, I've got uh, my podcast. I just dropped an episode on Friday, which was a lighting designer episode. Uh, we had a little round table, and um, I am looking forward to figuring out how to monetize on that. Right now, we're selling t-shirts. Go to heartbeatofthedancefloor.com, please. Buy your t-shirt. And uh, anybody who needs a lighting designer with architectment expertise, that would be me. <laughs> Noted. Uh, I, I'm working on a couple of different things right now. I've got a, a large uh, exterior uh, project that's an NDA, but so that's uh, we're actually customizing 
fixtures and, and controls for that. Um, and then uh, I'm also working on a, a whole branding campaign for a new lighting company that's a new manufacturer. Yeah, I think those are like the two main ones. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Jen, what's next for you? I am doing a new musical at George Street Playhouse in New Jersey. It's paying me $6,000. All right. And I, <laughs> and I fought for... Well, my associate fought for themselves, and we fought together, and they are making, by the hour, twice as much as I'm making, wow. because I was able to prove their hours. Nice. So instead so, of $6, they're going to get $12 Something like that. That's no, wonderful. They're getting $12,000 to do it, and I'm getting $6,000 oh. to do it, because I, I proved their hours to, to them. Wow. We were like, these are the hours it will wow. take. Oh I gosh. will accept the fee as given, but these, this person is showing up for these. That's hours. very impressive of you, Jen. I'm. I'm, I'm not. I'm it's just. Impressed. I'm just like. I'm just saying it because you should do it. <laughs> like you should yeah. all do it. Yeah. It is possible to do. Well, I think most people. It is tiring. It is exhausting and tiring, especially in live performance yeah. theater. But it is doable, especially yeah. if you're like. Look at the minimum wage. Yeah. Oh, and another thing I do, I know we have to wrap up, is like something else I've learned is like, what is the crew making? My associate should be making that. Yeah. Is the crew making $28 an hour? Look at how your budget does not align. And usually for the designers, there's four of them typically. I'm like, yeah. there's four more people yeah. making a certain, you know, it's not like the budget is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and also you're fighting for other people. And I think that's something that's repeated on episodes is that it is easier, weirdly, to fight for other people. Yeah. I don't know how or why. Um, but theater, like a lot of the stuff I do is like I'm the only lighting. Like the crew is whoever I can yeah. hire for the day or something like yeah. that. So it's like I only have to hire for myself. Yeah. But it's sort of like pulling away from yourself and fighting for you, the designer, not like get yeah. me out of it it's, yeah. it's, there's something there that it's it's better to fight if you like you're doing providing all the information and just being like this is I mean and sometimes the, the associate is still accepting $15 an hour which is terrible and not worth their valuable whatever yeah. but still yeah. that's sometimes three times what the budget was Right. right. Yeah. Well, I, um, I might do a show at Gateway Playhouse in a couple weeks, a month. I don't know. But the, I asked for the assistant to get fifteen hundred, and they came back um, a couple days ago at nine hundred. And so I'm navigating that because it's like, how much can I fight for? Because they do have a budget, and it's like I can't push it too high. Yes, you can. So you thank can. you. All right, you actually can. <laughs> I am living proof. I am a nightmare. They're like, whoa, no, it's Chad. Um, but I am living proof that with a smile or sass or whatever, you, could, you can. You can. Okay, I think right. the transparent budget is not the real budget. Yeah. The budget yes. they offer you is not the real budget. And, and, and I think it is a wonderful thing the way you advocate for your crew, Jen, the way other people advocate because you're they're fostering the exact kind of attitude and environment we have in this industry, which is a helpful industry. We like to mentor young ones. We like to take them under our wing. We see yeah. someone who's talented. We see someone who has passion, and we help guide them to where they are. Because for the most part, that's how we got to where we yeah. were, because yeah. someone decided exactly. we were worth their time and their energy. Yeah. So it's a pay-it-forward kind of environment that we have in this industry that I, I you know, I, yeah. I feel very blessed to be a part of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I also love all you guys, all you people. <laughs> I don't mind being called guy. I don't either. I don't either. This is part of the language. Yeah. Um, I love it because this episode is going to rebroadcast on November 28th in the podcast feed. And hopefully I will have this negotiated 
needed by then, so I will provide an update on Please where do. we landed on that assistant. Oh, Please boy. Do. Um, okay, so. I'll write the email for you. I Thank got you. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then they might be like, well, could you come do the show? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, all right, so. Uh, that's the time we have. Um, thank you, amazing panel. Um, can we give them a round of applause for this? <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. Um, <laughs> so if you enjoyed this panel, you can, of course, hear more from them on previous episodes of Artistic Finance. Amy was on last week talking about the FIRE community, a.k.a. financial independence, retire early. Marsha was on this summer talking about getting paid in cash and Social Security being part of the retirement plan. And Jen will... I'll be on, I'll be on. Eventually be on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find links to those episodes in the show notes. Um, you can also search your podcast app. And for example, I just learned this a month ago, and I've had a podcast for three years. Um, you can go into the Apple Podcast app or Spotify, and you, there's a search bar, and you can type Artistic Finance and Marsha Stern and your episode will show up. I just learned this. So if you're ever looking for a specific episode, that's how you can do it. Um, and if you do end up going and listening to more of our show, please uh, you know, subscribe, follow on the podcast, or follow on YouTube would be very helpful to me. Yeah, um, that's real important to the numbers, to hit those subscribe, to hit those likes, because that's what the algorithm wants. So even if you like the person, but you don't like that episode. Just hit the like because it helps us in our numbers. Or share awesome. an episode that you like with your friend. Exactly. Oh, wait. Exactly. I'll repeat that louder. Share an episode you like with your friend. Thank yes. you. <laughs> that, that's the fee. We have a fee for this podcast, and the fee is to share it. So thank, thank you. Um, all right. So if you're listening and you have a large-scale architectural uh, structure to be lit, call Marsha. Um, if you're needing a control system laid out or maybe some graphic splash page type thing, you can call Amy here. And here we go. If you're needing a lighting designer for a Broadway show, <laughs> Jen here is very busy. Ethan is available for any lighting design that you need. <laughs> she's, she's not worried. Um, but anyway, but if you're here in person, uh, come chat with these people after. I know Marsha's running to design. Oh, and Jen's running to design. But um, some of us will be at the Women in Lighting panel later today at 3.30 p.m., um, sponsored by Ayrton, uh, happy hour at 5.00. Hope to see you there. Um, so, guys, people, again, thank you Humans. for sharing. Humans. <laughs> thank you for sharing your time, your energy, and your experiences and being honest. You have been awesome. Uh, audience, you have been wonderful. Um, so that's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you. Yeah. This has been great. Thank you. I realized we missed one possible financial, the, like, go, the, the gambling table. Like, that's oh, you were in Vegas, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to win See? it now. Yeah. <laughs> Bet on black. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. The update to that assistant fee. So I channeled Jen Trever and I wrote the producer and I explained that the $900 would put the assistant at $7 an hour. So here's the actual email that I sent. Producer, thank you for checking in. I'd love to light the show and appreciate you working with me. The assistant has to do prep work for the show. They need to help with the paperwork and drafting and follow spots before arriving on site. Because the schedule is tight, the assistant will need to act as assistant, associate, electrician, programmer, crew, follow spot caller, etc. depending on the day. Now Monday through Saturday is six days, which will total 84 hours in the theater. Add 18 hours for the design run and two commutes to the city. Add a conservative estimate of 30 hours prepping paperwork and show file. And that totals 132 hours, which makes the pay $7 an hour. 
This is why I'm asking for $1,500. I can't find a good assistant who will work for less. And I understand that this is inconvenient, but in order for me to do a good job lighting the show, I need somebody who is good. Again, thanks for working with me. Let me know if this is unworkable. So that's the actual email I sent, and the response was mostly good. So the producer responded and said, okay, let's do it. However, there was a caveat that they want me to go back in January and light a show without an assistant, and their argument is that will make up for the money that they're adding to this assistant fee. Now, I'm not quite available for the January show, so I haven't finished this negotiation, so I don't quite know how it's going to work out. Uh, but it seems positive that this assistant will get their money and I will sort out this other show soon enough. So, uh, so a pretty good response. All I did was do exactly what needed to be done. I just broke down all the hours like the panel suggested, sent that off to say, look, this is the reality of what we're doing. Uh, and it seems to have worked. All right. So did you enjoy our LDI episode? Do you have any questions or follow up ideas or thoughts? You can email me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I check the email personally, and I read and respond to every single one. And because LDI was absolutely phenomenal this year, I just want to share a couple of stories that happened to me while I was there. So first, our Artistic Finance patron, Gary Archer from Houston, attended our Artistic Finance recording he stayed afterwards and we got a meet up and that was absolutely amazing. So thank you, Gary, for not only supporting me via Patreon, but also for attending the session and staying to say hi. If anyone's connected with me on LinkedIn, I made a post about it there. Uh, Gary took a photo with me. It was pretty awesome. Another awesome thing that happened at LDI was that I attended the Women in Lighting Happy Hour and Marcia Stern was there hosting another happy hour as well. And so I was trying to leave the happy hour, but I had lost Marsha. So I wandered the entire bar trying to find Marsha. And of course, there's these long lines for people waiting to get drinks. And so to get by, I had to cut through one of these lines. So I cut through and unbeknownst to me, the person I was cutting in front of was Sarah Gosses. And as I was cutting through, she said, is that Ethan Stimel? Now, that's not unusual to be at LDI and hear your name and reconnect with people or uh, meet new people. But what Sarah said next is what made my day. Uh, and she said, so I'm a teacher and I make my students listen to artistic finance. And so, of course, if there's something that I can talk all day about, it's artistic finance. So we continue to chat there for a little bit. And she let me know that specifically episode 93 with projection designer Kate Hevner was an episode that she chose for her class to listen to. So Sarah, thank you so much for saying something because you could have just let me walk by <laughs> without saying anything. Because another thing that happened when Sarah said this was it inspired me to make a worksheet uh, for students that can get paired with one of our episodes. Because now this fall... I've had several theater professors uh, ask me to talk to their classes about things that I've learned on artistic finance. In doing that, I've learned that several professors assign this podcast as homework or as a class session. And so this sheet of questions that I've created uh, can be printed or emailed to students, or it can be modified in any way, but it provides questions for students to respond to, to talk about what they learned in the episodes. 
So where can you find this worksheet? So there's a link for it in the show notes, and it's also over on our Patreon page. Now, it's not behind the paywall, so anybody anywhere can access it, and teachers, of course, can use it at will. I've kept it generic, so it can be any technical design theater student listening to any of the episodes uh, and responding. Maybe one day I'll get more specific with design departments um, and specific episodes, but for now... It has some generic prompts for any episode. So the students can choose whatever episode is sounds interesting to them, and then they can respond and say what they found valuable in the episode. But speaking of over on Patreon, if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to access our bonus content, please consider becoming a patron. Uh, you can pay monthly or yearly, um, and you can cancel any time. So if you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, uh, the best way to support is via Patreon. You can do that by joining up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. So thank you in advance. If you aren't a patron and it's not your thing, but you still want to help us out, there is a free fee that we mentioned during the show, and that fee is to tell somebody about artistic finance. That's the number one way that people have found out about our show. And the next best thing would be to subscribe to the show on any podcast app or on YouTube or going and leaving a rating and review on Spotify or Apple. If you do take the time to help us out, thank you in advance. I don't know how else to say thank you except just saying thank you. I really appreciate everyone who has done one of these action items. And one last thing before I go, and that is that when I got back from LDI, I got taken down by the flu. Now, yes, I did have my flu shot, but I had completely worn myself out leading up to LDI, and then I completely threw myself into LDI, attending sessions and, and making the most out of it. So when I got back to New York, my body said, you need a break, and it took one. So I ended up canceling on a couple days of work, uh, and then I took this week off, and uh, we've spent our Thanksgiving just sort of recovering. Um, and I haven't quite recovered, but I want to mention this because it's so easy for us to not take care of ourselves. So as the holiday season is in full swing, be sure to take care of yourself. So eat healthy, exercise, and get rest because it's all very important to do. I knew I was working myself into sickness. I knew I wasn't exercising. I knew I wasn't eating healthy. But here's my reminder to you. Self-care is more important than anything else. So take care of yourself. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.